Happy Super Bowl Sunday, everybody. Welcome to the largest secular holiday of the year. It is so good to be with you today. And I want to, before we prepare our hearts for communion and to celebrate the feast that is this day together, I want to share with you a story of back in 2019, back when you could travel, of a time when we as a group of us from Peachtree were at Israel and we were in the city of Jerusalem. No, this is not a uh, photoshopped image. This is me standing along the edge where the Mount of Olives is looking towards the city. And I want to share with you this story about a time when we were getting ready to go down into the ancient city of David. Here is a mock-up of what that would have looked like. What's hard to tell from this image is the incredible elevation change. You can see the Dome of the Rock and how everything worked up towards that. Here's a picture of a mock-up of what it would have looked like during the life of David. We were standing just above the area of the palace there and we were waiting our turn to go down to the archaeological sites into the ancient city of David. And while we're waiting for our time to go down in there, because there was some sort of snafu with the timing of the tickets and groups coming in, our uh, kind of tour guide was stalling. The tour guide was telling history after history and eyes, including your pastors, were starting to glaze over from all of the history that was being bestowed upon us. And in the midst of all of this historical download, all of the sudden, I hear our tour guide say, Jesus only performed two healing miracles in Jerusalem, the lame man and the blind man at the Pool of Bethesda and the Pool of Siloam. And that corresponds with 2 Samuel, blah, 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 blah. And all of a sudden I go, wait, back up the truck, say that again. And she said, yeah, there was the time when David was getting ready to invade the city of David, what was to become his city, Jerusalem. So the Jebusites were there. And this is what it says in 2 Samuel. Let me read it for you. It says, the king and his men marched to Jerusalem to attack the Jebusites who lived there. The Jebusites said to David, you will not get in here. Even the blind and the lame can ward you off. I made our tour guide stop and I turned to the tour group and I said, do you not see what she is talking about? Is that when David came to claim the city of Jerusalem for God, he came to conquer it and the Jebusite said, there's no way you'll take our fortified city. Even our lame and our blind could fend you off, could fight you away. Jesus comes to conquer the city of David for Jerusalem for God. But instead of defeating people with military might, he heals them. It was like you could see the minds start to open up and the light bulbs go off above our heads. As we could see the layers of history and archaeology and meaning. And that even though I have a doctorate, I mean, you will never, ever, ever plumb the depths of understanding and experiencing the wonder of God's word. Today we come to that moment in John chapter 5 where Jesus is going to heal the lame man. As he is coming into the city of Jerusalem, he is going to conquer it by healing it with his steadfast love. 
We're in the midst of a series of messages as we're marching through the Gospel of John. We're talking about that life-giving belief that is promised from our experience in knowing and encountering the living God in Jesus Christ. And that that encounter changes us, that we are no longer, we are no longer cynical, we are no longer empty, we are no longer religious, we are no longer ashamed, we're no longer, and today we're talking about being no longer paralyzed. We believe that when we follow Jesus, he frees us and changes us for good. John chapter 5, starting in the first verse. Sometime later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. Now, there is in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate a pool, which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Here a great number of the disabled people used to lie, the blind, the lame, the paralyzed. One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in his condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. While I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. And Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat, and walk. At once, the man was cured. He picked up his mat and walked. I want to introduce you this morning to a man from history whose name was Floyd Collins. Here is what he looked like back in 1925. On January 30th of that year, Floyd Collins, who was an avid caver, was in Kentucky and he was exploring some of the aspects of Mammoth Cave. While he was exploring this, all of a the sudden there was a shifting in the rocks while he was there and he became pinned. He became trapped. He was absolutely stuck. I want to show you a diagram of where he got stuck. They were able to get down to him up to that point to provide him some resources, but they were not able to free him without trying to find another way, to dig another way down into where he was. Here is actually a picture of where they found him and how he was alive and provided him with some resources. And yet some more stones fell and they became cut off from being able to get to him. This became a media phenomenon, not by Twitter, not by social media, but people gathered by the thousands, and it became the third largest media event between World War I and World War II in the United States. Everybody tuned into the radio every single night and every single day to hear the story of the attempted rescue of Floyd Collins. Well, after two weeks, when they were almost able to get to them, Floyd Collins sadly died. They were not able to rescue him. They weren't able to get there in time and that he didn't make it. For several weeks, the world's attention was focused in on one man who was trapped. But the reality is there are people who are trapped all around us all the time and we don't even seem to notice people who are trapped by despair, people who are trapped by hopelessness, people who are trapped by addiction, people who are trapped by a lack of resources, people who are trapped in all different kinds of different circumstances and in the midst of being caught and being stuck. They need help. 
They need to be rescued. They need to change. How does change happen? Well, if you've been around Peachtree for any time, you know that one of the most influential teachers in my life is a man by the name of Dallas Willard. And Dallas said that there is a reliable pattern of transformation that has three different elements, vision, intention, and means. You have to be able to see it, you have to be able to want it, and you have to have the ability to do something about it. Let me give you a non-religious example first. Let's say you want to learn a foreign language. Let's say you want to learn French. You have a vision of, you know, sitting down and ordering a chocolate croissant in a cafe in Paris. You have the intention of moving things around your calendar. You put a poster up maybe uh, in your office to inspire you to learn. And the means are the books, the tutors, and the classes by which you will engage in the, tra the change, the transformation of learning a foreign language. In other words, when you think about what it means to change, those three elements are always present. Let's bring this back to today's text. When you look at it from the paralyzed man who had been doing this for decades, and the reason that he hadn't changed, Dallas Willard talks about this. He says that there's a lack of vision. He's been doing this for 38 years. That there's a lack of intent. Do you want to get well, Jesus asks. It seems like a rude question, but no, it's really Jesus getting to the heart of what he desires or not. And then a lack of means. In other words, this paralyzed man has more excuses than he has friends. He has more excuses than he has prayers. He has more excuses than he has abilities to do anything about it. Jesus comes into this situation with a different vision, a different intent, and a different means. His vision is to bring the kingdom of God. His intent is to heal this paralyzed man in the city. And the means are his resurrection power. In fact, when Jesus tells the man to get up, he uses the verb anastasis, which means to rise. It's the same as rising from the dead. And so Dallas Willard's conclusion about change is this. He says, God is mysterious, but the process of change is not. You and I need to understand that when you are dealing with change, you are dealing with an aspect of life that we think is incredibly mysterious, when in reality, when you break it down, it's the kind of thing that happens all of the time. In other words, you can change if these three elements are true, if the vision is clear, if the intent is strong, and if the means are available. And I love how Dallas connects this to the great commandment of loving the Lord your God. If the vision is clear, in other words, your mind, because you use your imagination, if the intent is strong, in other words, your feelings or your heart, your desires, and if the means are available, your soul and your strength. This is how change happens. Please do not hear me being overly reductionistic and saying three simple steps to change or if you follow this pattern, you can change anything. No, 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 that's not what I'm saying here. But I dare you to think about any significant change that has happened in your life where all three of these elements were not present. That you have to see it, you have to want it, and you have to be able to do something about it. And if all three of those dimensions are there, 
we can change. I want to show you the picture of a woman by the name of Crystal Jones. She decided after she graduated from college to work for Teach for America here in Atlanta. She was going to be working with first graders and she discovered that most of the first graders that she was going to be working with hadn't even been through a kindergarten class yet. In other words, this was their first attempt at school. And Crystal knew this. Crystal knew that the biggest single predictor as to whether or not someone ends up incarcerated in the United States is whether or not they can read at the second grade level when they're in the second grade. And so she catches a vision and she shares that vision with her class. On the first day of class with this first grader, she said, by the end of this school year, I'm gonna make you into third graders. And their eyes get really wide because they know how big and how important third graders are. In fact, there was a moment as she got through the year when they started to progress, when she actually did a second grade graduation, when they got into second grade material. Then she also shared with them her love of learning, that she didn't just teach them the mechanics of reading, she taught them to want to be curious, to learn. And then the third thing that she did was this, she created all kinds of means, not only in the classroom, but with parents and with the ability to pull offline and to learn reading in a variety of different ways. And before you know it, she had been successful. She had gotten them to the third grade reading level. And because of that, their destinies were forever changed. All from a woman who had the vision and the intention and the means to do something about it. So let's bring this back to you and to John chapter five. Jesus turns to that paralyzed man and he says, do you want to get well? Sometimes we prefer the disability we know to the ability that we don't know. Sometimes in our life, we prefer the limitations we have to the lack of limitations that we don't have. Jesus was questioning the intent of the paralyzed man. I love how Max Lucado puts it. He puts it like this. He says, do you want to get sober? Do you want to get solvent, educated, better in shape, over your past, beyond your upbringing, stronger, healthier, happier? Would you like to leave Bethesda in the rearview mirror? Are you ready for a new day, a new way? Are you ready to get unstuck, dislodged, pride loose, set free, let go, unshackled? Life feels stuck when life makes no progress, when you battle the same discouragement you faced a decade ago or struggle with the same fears you faced a year ago. When you wake up to the same hangups and habits, when Bethesda becomes a permanent mailing address, when you feel as though everyone gets to the pool before you and nobody wants to help you. That's the condition of this man. And if we're honest, that's the condition of you and me. That like Floyd Collins, like a first grader in a challenging school district, like the pool and the man who sits by it for 38 years, we're trapped, we're stuck, we're paralyzed. In the midst of all of that, what can be done? 
There was a woman in my previous congregation who had been married for 60 years. And they were challenging 60 years because the man that she was married to struggled significantly with mental illness. There were bouts of not only deep, deep depression, there were hospitalizations, there were inpatient treatments, there were even suicide attempts. As this woman, Ruth, struggled for all of these decades, she knew that she needed to become a different kind of person in order to be able to persevere for the one that she loved. And so she knew that she could not do that on her own. She could only do it with God. And so what she did was that she committed her life to loving her husband, no matter what. And in the midst of that, she knew she needed a resource to be able to draw off of. For her, that was prayer. And it was a particular kind of prayer. It was prayer in the form of song. Ruth loved to sing the great hymns of our faith. She loved to study the words, to take them to heart. And when she was telling me one time about how her husband really was struggling in this one season later, later in life, Ruth said that no matter what moment it was when he was in distress, in order for her to become that non-anxious presence of Jesus Christ, she said, you know what? Every time. I always heard the music. She trained through the learning of the great hymns, the songs of faith, to become the kind of person that would know that God was near no matter what. Ruth couldn't change her circumstances. She couldn't change her husband. She did not have the ability to do either one of those two things. No matter how great her vision and her intent would be towards those, they were not within her power. What was within her power was to change herself, to be an anchor for the soul in the midst of that relationship. And boy, did she change. She changed and she became the rock by which that love could flourish when many loves would fall away. You know, it's interesting, I wish I could end this sermon on kind of one of those high notes, one of those positive notes, but the text won't let me do that. Most of the time, we preachers, when we read John chapter 5 for you, we stopped where I stopped earlier, but that's not where the, the text stops. For you see, what happens in the passage is that the religious leaders get upset that this is the Sabbath day when Jesus has healed this man, and the man who actually is healed has no idea who Jesus was, and kind of um, they start to kind of inquire of him, and he's like, I don't even really know what his name was. This is how the passage really ends. The man who was healed had no idea who it was, for Jesus had slipped away into the crowd that was there. Later, Jesus found him at the temple and said to him, See, you are well again. Stop sinning, or something worse may happen to you. This is a part of the story we would rather not explain. But it's a part of our lives that we need to know. Jesus ends this story, John ends this story, with, with a warning. There's something worse than a physical limitation. There's something more debilitating 
than living with a disease. The worst thing that we can do is to harbor a persistent, consistent life of sin. It's hard for us to imagine that there might be something worse than what that paralyzed man had experienced for 38 years. But actually there is worse. God has created us to live in relationship with him. And when we don't live in relationship with him, when we rebuke him and keep him at arm's length through our brokenness and our rebellion and our sin, that's a life that is worse. And so Jesus healed the man's physical disability. And then the dangling invitation is, will we stop our life of sin in order for us to come to know him and love him in the way that he knows and loves us? I don't want you to miss a detail. The place that this pool is called just north of the temple is the pool of Bethesda. In Hebrew, that means house of steadfast love, Beit Hesed. This man had been coming to the house of steadfast love, a pool of renewal, for almost four decades. Steadfast love is not a place. It's a person. And this person, one day, will usher in the new creation when all of our disease, all of our illness, all of our mental struggles fall away that there will be a new day and a new creation in a new way. And there will be no more sin, no more crying, no more pain. I don't know what paralysis you're dealing with right now. I don't know how you feel stuck or feel trapped. What I am positive of is that that is a temporary condition and that the great gift that is being offered to us now is to set down our lives of sin and rebellion and to discover that we can stand up, take our mats, and walk. Let's pray. Father, you are still rescuing your people. Even though we are trapped in the darkness of our own lives and brokenness, our own idolatry, you still desire to save. Lord, help us to heed the warning of the things that might be worse than our physical limitations. We know that you were making all things new and that you were not just conquering Jerusalem long ago, but you're conquering our own lives with your steadfast love. And so, Father, in this moment, in this broadcast, in this spiritual unity that is this moment, Help us to gather around the reality of your healing presence, your piercing questions. Give us the vision, the desire, and the ability to change, to change ourselves and to change the community around us. And we pray all of these things in the strong name of Jesus the Christ. Amen.